welcome to this episode of Green Planet, the Blue Planet podcast. I'm here today at Veganic Flow Farm in North Carolina with Mark Epstein. Welcome, Mark. Thank you. Happy to have you here. Yeah, it's your home and it's your farm. It's super exciting. I mean, I've been wanting to have people here since we first were creating and imagining this place. That's how I felt it was. And uh, as we were doing breath work this morning together, I loved it. We were together with all these people. I'm really happy. Yeah, it really feels like kind of a, you know, it's your family home, but it also feels like a, like a satellite uh, to all of these regenerative movements and, and, and gathering spots that are happening, right? You have this beautiful large property, you grow your own food. Um, maybe share a little bit because I, I know your background early on was that of a trader and in, in trading and in banking. Mm -hmm. You also have a background in the arts and you ran an arts venue in Chicago for a decade. But then really deep down, you're a farmer. Yeah, it seems that way. Um... I grew up in a family that was very centered on natural living, uh, centered specifically from a nutrient healthful, that the food is your medicine, the food supports your life essence. And so that's where I grew up. Um, that doesn't always jive with uh, modern America, you know, doctoring and stuff like that. And uh, when I went to college uh, in the early 80s in uh, uh, Chicago, I kind of wanted to like be myself, but also be like, Like, this is real. I'm here, I'm at a university, and, you know, you know my way, the way that I want to live should be something that's authentic, and it's okay. Um, and um, so soil and food has always been a big part of everything, and I never had a real big garden in Chicago. I lived in Chicago uh, for about 25 years without a garden. Um, so when we moved down here to North Carolina, and uh, the soil was just calling me, and so Building Flow Farm, I knew the name was Flow Farm, but Building Flow Farm was something that kind of, you know, I was just the steward to be here and to learn and to play with it. And it's been part of the whole journey since then. Because everything that's happened in the last couple of years since I kind of met the regenerative, uh, you know, movements, uh, it's, it's opened up everything. But the fact that I spent a decade building soil before it was my preparation to arrive here. Mm, your preparation. Yesterday you showed me around on the farm a little bit and mm -hmm. I could tell that by the way you're sharing about these different plots and these different experiments with growing that you've done and the cover crop and the cycles of it and understanding the natural cycles that are underlying it that farming and as you just said building soil or making soil over the last decade has it sounds like it has really taught you a thing or two about the natural rhythms and the regenerative principle that that's inherent in nature. I didn't really know a lot about it when I started, but the plants and the soil are, are a form of fabric. They communicate with each other. They're part of what nat nature is expressing. So we can either get in the way or we can be part of it and facilitate and be you know, in honor of it. And so you know, as a mathematician, as a computer scientist, uh, you know, I didn't take organic chemistry you know, and soil science when I was young. And it just, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and little by little, with each passing year, I learned more. And, and I became more sensitive, more, more listening to what was going on. And so when, when I look out at the, the fields right now, you know, I see the, we're moving into winter cover crop phase, you know, a cycle. And so when you're moving into winter cover crop, you're honoring that, that you want there to be roots, you want the soil biology to be fed, and you want the soil to be safe. Mm -hmm. And... I didn't know that that was part of what humans, uh, nature knew how to do that, but we can do that. We can help. We can be part of it. And so, um, uh, as you say, with, when I look at each plot, I know in my heart, you know, the history of that plot. You know, I know uh, what we've learned. I know where the sweet potatoes grew this year and where the strawberries are growing. And um, it's, it's really, it's really a, a deep part of my life now. Mm. It's mm -hmm. turned into a deep part of your life. It is your family legacy home or like the stronghold of the family, mm -hmm. but also what we're experiencing this weekend as we've spent almost a week together, first at Region Campus in Flat mm -hmm. Rock in North Carolina, mm -hmm. and now here at your home, that it's also a, it continues to grow into maybe the next level of what your dream was about, which is a gathering spot for those who are building and making the regenerative movement, which is a movement that really follows those natural principles of the earth. Yeah. Maybe share a little bit about your participation in Seeds and Haifa Dao and how as a mathematician and former trader, this is you know, an area of expertise where you carry a lot of passion to not just wait for it to happen, but to 
actively architect, you know, mm -hmm. currencies of the future. Yeah. Um, it's kind of amazing because when I was busy building my, you know, my connection, my root, my roots in the, in the earth, I didn't know why I was doing it. You know, it was just, it was calling to me. And as I said, I learned a lot. And when I first met the Seeds community, um, it came uh, out of a dream uh, where I had reconnected with um, a woman who had been an important part of my life uh, since the, the 80s, Susan Davis, down in Ecuador. And I contacted her when I woke up from a dream. And uh, within a, a, a month, I'm part of a, her, a new gathering that she's creating. And I met Stephen Gomes, and I met Annalo Smitsman. And that then turned into uh, an introduction to what was happening in Seeds in Haifa. And at that moment, it felt like I saw the weaving. I saw the weaving of my soil. Uh, that wasn't just something that I was doing for fun, for my own heart. It was part of preparing me to, for this meeting, for, to, to, to emerge into this new space. Mm. So I really did feel as I was learning about seeds and I was learning about Haifa and the Dow, these were ideas that I hadn't, crossed, I hadn't known about before. Mm -hmm. I barely knew about cryptocurrencies, uh, but I knew about the math underneath them. And so I could see the threads of all the things in my life from uh, you know, uh, soil and natural living and art and math and finance and token up. I learned about all of that stuff, and it was like, whoa, now is the, now's the time. Now is the time, and, mm -hmm. and now a lot more is possible, especially for groups of people that are leaning into this topic early and are, I would say, co-creating it more so than just happening upon it, right? But you said something interesting earlier today when, when we sat down and prepared for this conversation, which mm -hmm. is that the, the soil, the earth, the land, the land-based project really came first for you to be even open to that. Yeah. Do you mind elaborating a little bit to how you experienced that and how maybe this could be an inspiration for people tuning in that putting our hands into the soil is like a fundamental connection piece to those regenerative natural principles? Yeah, um, it, there's funny sides to it and there's kind of like deep, uh, you know, emotional connection sides to it. The funny side to it is that um, when, when I was talking about seeds and learning about seeds and getting more active and involved in seeds and, uh, and then Haifa and all of the math and the, the conversations, you know, I would always tell my wife, you know, my preparation was my street cred came from the fact that I had soil and, and, and the, my, uh, the veganic farm. Yeah. You know, peripherally, it came from the fact that I'm a mathematician and a computer scientist and all those other things. But if I was only those things, mm -hmm. I would not have been able to be in seeds in the way that, that is real. Um, and so from the uh, kind of the, the, the deep connection side, I don't know exactly what it is when you put your hands in the soil. Um, I love weeding. I love being outside the rhythmic, the, the kind of meditative side of it. But I think the real kind of like awakening was when you eat food, and I didn't really know this before. You know, I, I'm a kid. I'm eating food, you know, and I'm, we, we know we have to be healthier. And so you eat these healthier things and not these things. Um, but when you eat food, you are nourishing an entire universe inside of you. That's not you, exactly. It's an entire universe of, of organisms that you are part of, that, that you're connected to. You are, we are not just this box of Mark. So there's this whole universe inside of me, the microbiome of who I am. And whatever that is etherically, you know, when I take that sweet potato out of the ground, everything that comes with it is part of that whole thing. So there was this kind of mystical element of that was that you're unaware of when you're going to restaurants or you're, you know, just shopping in the grocery shopping store. In the grocery store yeah. That that food and that soil and all of that miracle is coming into me, and then it's going to return back to the soil. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a pretty big, important thing to kind of like just be with. Right. It's mm -hmm. like a spiritual experience. It is. Meanwhile, it's the most basic physical experience of right. eating food and, and mm -hmm. connecting to that food. I think you mentioned something very, very powerful and important here, and that's the connection to the, the, the gut biome, the microbiome, but also the biome of the soil, which They're is... the same. It's ultimately <laughs> yeah. the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are nourished by the soil, and... I think you know, many people are pioneering that message into the world right now. In North America, the large problem was the abuse of glyphosate into the soil, which yeah. to a degree is still going on, which you know, mm -hmm. needs to stop. But then also Not to is, agree, it's still 
very badly going on. It's still very badly going on, you know. I grew up in Europe, so mm -hmm. at least we had a little less of, of that mm -hmm. poison in the soil. But on the flip side of that, we realized that a healthy gut, a healthy biome, a healthy gut biome then connects us even deeper to the natural principle and rhythm and therefore to our entire well-being literally mm -hmm. has to do with the simplicity of growing food, growing soil, making soil. Yeah. Now it also happens to be a way of how we can, you know, change the impact on our climate or on the the crisis of pollution and, 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 and you know, that the large topic of climate suddenly has uh, a valve to kind of de-stress it, which is putting soil. carbon back in the soil, mm -hmm. which is ultimately planting food, you know, algae in the water or forest yeah. in the forest. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you can, try to make that bridge for us to understand even deeper how from understanding that about your biome, your soil, your food, you understood that another gift of yours, mathematics and you know, computer engineering, are actually really important to create another fabric of soil, which is currency and which is decentralized autonomous organizations. We're talking about seeds and, and Haifa, but maybe specifically one level up from there, like what did you see in it that you were like, this is it. This is how we can actually create value chains of, of real value that allows more humans to live in uh, you know, maybe outside the box of just getting things done. Yeah, I think that over the last year, as I've really gotten deep into the tokenomics and the, the governance and the decentralization and the transparency of what is possible mm -hmm. in blockchain and communities using it uh, intentionally to organize, to facilitate, to collaborate, um, it's becoming really, really clear for me with each passing day. You know, there's real things that are happening on the planet. And maybe it's somebody planting a tree. Maybe it's somebody choosing not to cut down a tree. Um, maybe it's, it's a music festival or just you know, a peacefulness. Maybe it's a, that we're no longer tolerating that there's homeless people or people that are starving. You know, there's some awakening that's happening. And if we say, you know, at this point, you're here. And over here, where we can dream and imagine what the future is, and maybe it's a week later, a month later, a year later, a decade later, it's going to be better. How do you orchestrate behavior so that that outcome is true? So if we imagine what it looks like what's better, we need to take the steps back to merge with where we are now to begin to see the path. And so that's what's becoming really clear for me. So I'm going to be more specific. So. If we say that we're going to improve something from this number, we can take numerical measurements. The numerical measurements, we can squint our eyes and they can be proxies. It doesn't have to be super you know, like crazy stuff, but you can imagine what it feels like. Less trees, more trees. You know? And if you can look at that delta, that, that change that we want to see happen, then you can actually measure it. And when you measure it, you can tell the story about it. And if you tell the story about it, then people can hear the story about it. And there are people on this planet that have resources, dreams, capacity, influence, that can say, I prefer that. And when you look at like the history of philanthropy um, and the, you know, what's happened since the industrial age and this concentration of power into such a small number of people, and we see even post uh, you know, web one and web two, everything that's happening in this concentration, that concentration has a power, a capacity. And that capacity is to say, I like this outcome. And when you say, I like this outcome, you need to welcome that energy in and that pathway becomes available when you make things transparent, you make the economics connected, and you build community around those outcomes. And so when we as a society see that and can, can like paint the picture of what is possible, then these value flows can come in and say, I love the idea of enabling that. You have to make it easy and you have to build the connection. And that's what's possible with the tokenomics. And that's what we're imagining in Seeds. Yeah, let's, let's dive in a, even a little bit deeper. I'd love to hear from you, Mark, what, what do you think are the risks, right? What, mm -hmm. what is, you know, maybe needs to really be taken care of as we go into these more decentralized and more like collective empowering tools? And what's also the promise that's already present with Seeds is now three years old, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a very young age. Tiny, tiny bit of a blink of an eye. A blink of an eye for mm -hmm. anything really that's, that's mm -hmm. being born. Um, and then maybe what are some of the essential 
pillars of, of understanding value in a new way. So the risks, kind of the, the promise, right? But also the essential pillars of value. The essential pillars of value, I think we all know what they are deep in our core. Um, people may uh, have different attention on it, and there's people who inspire us. Um, and so when, when I kind of like think, what's my piece of the puzzle, I can feel it, and I can sometimes inspire uh, attention on it, but there's people who really think about it a lot. And so I've heard you know, uh, use of the word thrivability um, and these different metrics, uh, the work uh, of R3.org and the work uh, that Analos has been doing with Earthwise and stuff. I know that the, that the idea of how to measure it and how to be aware of it is, is out there. It's not my particular piece of the puzzle, but I'm fine with it not being my particular piece of the puzzle. But I can say, you know, when we know, when we can measure and we agree to that, then we can back up and say, how do we collaborate to achieve that? When you speak about like what the risks are, I'm gonna to speak to that for, you know, when we think about decentralized organizations, it was very unfamiliar to me. It's only in barely becoming familiar to me now, even though I'm deeply involved in it. I don't know really what that should be, what, the, what that should look like. So decentralized is, is kind of a philosophy of that the, the collective intelligence is coming from the collective as opposed to the CEO. The hierarchical is facilitating efficiency, facilitating communication, but if the hierarchical is facilitating the knowledge and the power, then it's not actually doing its role. It's, it's acting as a, you know, as a concentration. Like a bottleneck of power. Yeah. And so decentralization in the, in the way that DAOs from an academic standpoint, you know, really kind of say, all right, we're going to have this purpose, we're going to work together, but we have to be afraid that there's a bad actor that's going to come in here and they're going to disrupt what we're doing when we're not watching. So we have to be very watchful. We have to make sure that all of the, the keys to the treasury and this and that and everything, it, it's a fear-based kind of approach to decentralization. And one of the things that uh, feels right to me that Haifa uh, has you know, been involved with and, and sociocracy and holacracy and all of these different things is that these are human relationships. And if you start from human relationships instead of starting from decentralized yet transparent aut aut autonomous, you know, automatic without feeling relationships, if you can start from the human side of it, then we can build something that really does have intelligence, that does have collective wisdom, that does have share, shared purpose. So I think that that's one of the key pieces for me is that decentralized organizations are not just about a set of rules or a set of blockchain smart contracts. Mm -hmm. They're about humans agreeing to the way that they're going to behave and care for each other. Mm. So the, the question of the value really is the question of what is a human life that is anchored in, you know, maybe access to resources, maybe anchored in uh, what do you call thrivability, right? The mm -hmm. ability to actually go beyond just meeting uh, ends, meet, ends meet or the monthly mm -hmm. kind of right. uh, necessities. But it's also about, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to create the bridge here to you being a, a farmer also mm -hmm. and having learned so much with this flow farming approach. It's also the values of a healthy earth. Right? Yeah. It's the values of a planet that ultimately has an intelligence inherent in its own way of pulsing, its own way of, you know, floating in the middle of space in the, you know, in, in the Milky Way galaxy. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about those values of life in itself, in the planet, of life in itself, in the human species. Now, where do you see that there is like maybe a disconnect to many people who are like, this is way above my head. Like, what are these guys even talking about? Like, you know, I got, I got to have two jobs to cover uh, my monthly requirements. Where do you think there are opportunities for that reconnect and that, that understanding that, no, actually, this is the direction of evolution in our species. We are ready for synarchic kind of actions or decentralized autonomous organizations. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's a whole big question. Um, there's a lot of humans. It really is. And, um, you know, I've been involved in small organizations. Um, and I've always, I've said like, you know, like, It'd be like if I was like the mayor of Chicago, you're like, what would I do? You know, if I was the president of the United States, what would I do? And, and, and I've always had this sense that I would, that, you know, I like being uh, organizing and setting, you know, purpose and, and 
but, but, and distributing down you know, uh, the, the stuff. But being a benevolent dictator doesn't work. You know, and I've always, in, my, in the businesses that I've had, I've said, yeah, I'm in charge, but I'm a benevolent dictator. <laughs> you know? um, there's something different. We don't need benevolent dictators. We need benevolence. Benevolence, yeah. And so when I think about the soil and I think about all the humans, you know, we've all gone through our own journeys, familial journeys, traumatic journeys. You know, humans have done terrible things. They do tem terrible things to each other, terrible things to other uh, beings on the planet, terrible things to the ecosystem, because they don't include it all together. Capitalism was really efficient at extracting resources and concentrating them to the shareholders. That's what right. you know, Adam Smith said, that's all you're supposed to do. You know? um, it's a really good like, short summary of what capitalism <laughs> was good at. That's, yeah. And it's true, we're living in, in that world of the, the, the unfolding of that paradigm. But as you know, I'm following where you're about to go with it, yeah. clearly that can't be the end of the road. No, we're, we're living in the results of that. And as I, when I was a kid, all right, so again, back to, you know, we ate raw foods and natural stuff. And so you're going on a trip in the station wagon with your brothers and sisters. And you know, you're hungry. And all there is is McDonald's, and then another McDonald's, and then another McDonald's. And like, you have to really be intentional if you're going to be different than just the norm. And not everybody is ready or willing or has been, you know, had that, has that willingness to do that. But because I kind of grew up that way, I always felt kind of different anyway. Right. But when you look at McDonald's everywhere, nobody charges McDonald's for, onto their balance sheet for the destruction. Nobody charges to McDonald's the fact that all of the potatoes grown in the world are now the same or that everybody that's working on the farms growing those potatoes gets cancer, or everybody that's eating at McDonald's on the, ha on the average becomes diabetic and overweight. Nobody charges McDonald's for that. For the consequences they create by running the business that they're running, which makes them highly profitable, yeah. and maybe creates a very convenient option, right. but ultimately creates destruction in the path of it. And right. McDonald's being one of the examples. One of many, you know. One of many, yeah. And so, when we are, we have to shift. We have to awaken. It's like it's like the dreamer is sleeping. You know, like wake him up. You know, wake up humanity to say there is something magnificent here, and we just forgot for for a moment. We you know in the last, we just forgot, and. By reconnecting to the soil, I was just, what crossed my mind is when we, our compost, you know, and we talked about it yesterday, and, you know, why am I making compost? You know, what's that about? And if I want to make compost kind of quickly, I have to work with nature. If I don't mind making compost slow, just gather the stuff, nature will do it for me, and I come back in a couple of years. Yeah. You know, great. You know, but if I want to do something quick and we want to change the world quick, we have to learn what is the actual breath, the actual rhythm of, of, of these natural regenerative processes. And so something so silly and simple as you saw, we have pipes that with a little fan and it replaces the air inside of the compost bin with fresh air, you know, once an hour. That's inserting oxygen, inserting the natural uh, fresh air into the pile so that the aerobic decomposition can be animated, the heat, the, the transformation of, uh, in towards compost. And so there are people on this planet, scientists and intuitives and that, that, that can like, you know, dance together and know how to do these things. And sometimes they're fun, crazy things. Like I saw um, Tom Chi is the executive director of the Buckminster, Buckminster Fuller Institute, and he's also a philanthropist and, and, a, and an entrepreneur. And one, in one of his videos, um, Make Human Activity Net Positive for Nature, that isn't the right title, but it's something like that, he showed this little drone that flies around and shoots down little tiny seeds of trees everywhere and with a, with a little bit of water and a little bit of nutrients and stuff. And they can plant trees really fast and they can fly over all of the impoverished edges of ecosystems and plant trees and plant diversity of trees that will naturally, and not every tree that they shoot into the ground with the drone flying around is going to turn into a tree, but a lot of them will. That is us using our, our brains and our technical capacity to do something faster. And it's time for us to do things faster. 
We have to collaborate and facilitate the behavior of human beings. And a lot of them are sleeping right now. And so when you start doing it in one little community, in one little backyard farm, or the Regen campus, or any of these places, and, and as you start, people will see it if you show it to them. And so that's why it's really important for these experiments, for trying things out, to be kind to yourselves, to be kind to everybody that's involved, and to tell the story of what we've learned. Because if everybody tells the story of what they learned really quickly, then we can collectively say, this works a little better than that, let's do it all together that way, and then we can iterate. And somebody's gonna invent the, a drone that plants trees. It's like, how crazy is that? Um, but that's what we need to do, and we need to be able to do these things at scale. And so I can be very impatient sometimes, like this is just not at scale. But the scale comes from the soil. It comes from people who have, have activated, who have uh, decided to pay attention to the rhythm of, of, the, of nature, and to listen and to say, how can we take the actual innate wisdom of nature and speed it up a little bit at scale and balance? And that only comes when you care about, you know, the, the value of a tree is something very different than the value of the, the lumber when you sell it. That's a very true example, right? Mm -hmm. Like a tree is worth more standing than it is actually worth in lumber on a spreadsheet. Yeah. Even though that's a very simplistic uh, mathematical kind of equation that will lead to profit. But yeah, that you were speaking about, a, about lumber, yeah. about taking down trees where you live. Yeah, I mean, British Columbia How is, can they do that? is one of those places where mm -hmm. trees are 500, 700, 1,000 years old and they're taken down within five minutes yeah. because of the value on the spreadsheet. Not really taken into consideration, at least in this simplistic exchange, that there's so much more value to the ecosystem. Also the human well-being, yeah. right? When the tree stays in the ground. I want to pick on something that you said there and, and kind of lean in a little bit into this dialogue with you, Mark, and mm -hmm. that is about making things faster at scale. Now, a part of me is like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And another mm -hmm. part of me kind of stumbles over that wording because I don't know if we really need things to go faster at, at scale in the way that our minds perceive it, or if at scale for something like what's happening here in your backyard is really, it means you're living it with your family. Now you're expanding this to your larger human family, your collaborators mm -hmm. in Seeds and Haifa. You're inviting people. Now suddenly we had 10, 15, 20 people here for a weekend. People are learning with you. Many more people that are your neighbors buying your food. Now that is already a scale for a small, a small farm project, right? Mm -hmm. Now hear what you're saying that there's a lot of work to do on the planet. And then there is still like a very destructive uh, MO, a modus operandi that actually destroys much more than it creates. So mm -hmm. yeah, in that regard, I agree. We want to maybe act you know, fast or act in a way that it allows us to, to change that. But whoever changes things other than groups of people coming together, being in inspiration together, learning something new and therefore making it the new uh, status quo. And so yeah. I think that Let's is Let's dig into that a little bit more. Right? All right. So uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know when I first learned that a mushroom, you know, is the fruit, you know. Um, mushrooms are just mushrooms when I was a kid, you know, but now I understand that mushrooms are the fruit of, of this enormous network underground, the entire everything, you know. And so what causes a mushroom to, to, to fruit to come up is the conditions are right. And maybe my little farm here is one little mushroom that came up. But the conditions are right everywhere. Yes. And we just have to allow those little mushrooms to come up. So we can become scale, we can become impactful in, in like a, you know, a mass, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in something measurable, just by allowing those mushrooms to, to fruit. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Um, and so, you know, when we think about like, uh, I know that we spent some time talking about biochar outside. It's like completely a coincidence that I've ever even heard the word biochar, you know? But it is also, you know, uh, miraculous synchronicity. Yeah. You know, I really just have always, you know, like smiled when you see that moment of like, ah, you know? And I remember the first time I heard the word biochar, it was in the, um, had to have been the middle 90s. There was an, an, an article in the Financial Times and it said, you know, black is the new gold or something like that. You know, green is the new black. I don't remember what it was, but it was an essay about uh, biochar and how that this could really sequester carbon in the ground. And so like, 
I read it. You know, I said, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. And that was it. But then it was only a couple years later, I had a friend who was working in uh, South America, and they, it was with a nonprofit mission to bring water wells to you know, areas that didn't have water, and that uh, empowering communities. And she had heard about biochar from one of the uh, Amazon researchers down there and said, you know, like, you can bring water and biochar to a community. If you're going to a community, bring them both. You know, and, and so she contacted me to see if I knew anything about it. Bing. Um, <laughs> and then a few years later, I'm starting my farm here, and I'm like saying, I want to be a veganic farm. So tiny say, digression, you know, why do I want to be a veganic farm? It feels really right. You know, the way that humans have been disrespectful to nature and to other animals is just too much to bear. So if I'm going to be a farm, I get to decide how I want to be, and I want to be a veganic farm. And I, and I had to decide and design what that meant. But I didn't know how to do it. So I Google veganic farm, and there's like nothing. <laughs> uh, but there was this one tiny little permaculture farm somewhere in the middle of France who had written down a little, this was before HTML barely was beautiful, and, and I read their, their, their paragraphs, their booklet, you know, and deep in there somewhere they talked about that they put biochar in the middle of their permaculture gardens, and ding. And so I learned more about biochar, and that's like, wow, we can sequester carbon and cure it and put it in the soil, and nutrients hold on, and water holds on, and the entire soil microbiology flourishes because carbon is the fabric. And so, Boom, we decided let's put biochar in our farm. So there's all kinds of things that can go to scale, little mushrooms that, that fruit all over the place, and we can start doing things collaboratively differently. I really do like the, the documentary Kiss the Ground as well. That speaks to all of this. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a few great documentaries oh, so on the topic. Many. <laughs> and then there's also, you know, like what happens on a weekend, like when we're all here together and learn in person from not just the screen, but like the embodied journey. And I think that's an, a very important part, not talking about the currency seeds, but us being like seeds for each other or germinating seeds that then grow in, you know, nutrient-rich soil. So maybe we're more the soil to each other yeah. than we are the seeds to each other. Mm -hmm. But we all as humans come with this unique potential, right? With this ability to grow way beyond our limitations. But what activates us to actually become those people is the soil we grow in the nutrients that are around us. And to a degree, the, the Mother Earth is that. But mm -hmm. We are that to each other as well. And so being here this weekend is also very exciting for me personally to see that in North Carolina, at Region Campus in Flat Rock, at Mark Epstein's mm -hmm. Veganic Flow Farm, there are these switched on people that are looking for what are the next steps of this expression? What is the quotation marks scale yeah. of, of this endeavor, right? And um, maybe I can jump here to one of my, my favorite questions, Mark. And, and that's... You know, in your heart of hearts, in your deep internal space, in your universe, what is the dream for the next seven generations to come that you as an ancestor of those generations are here to hold, to see, and to build? You know, I want the, the violence and the destruction to be a memory of where we were. You know, we don't have to be there, but that's where we are now. And that's where we've been for a while. But there will be this time in the seven generations in the future where it's just a story of the memory of, uh, you know, that was part of the birthing process to arrive at where we arrived. Um, that's what it feels like to me. You know, um, whether it, it's, it's, we're not paying attention. You know, when you disrespect, um, whether it's the earth, the beings under, inside the earth, the beings that are walking around the earth, the trees, the everybody, um, you're missing out on something that is, you're, you're discounting something that is a miracle beyond preciousness. We don't even, we can't even possibly sit and be, however in awe we are, it's more than that. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> It's a gift to be alive and it's a gift to be on this planet and to awaken at a time where, you know, stewardship is still somewhat rare, at least in the, the, the mass consciousness and in the consciousness of many places. I think it's always been held by the indigenous people and some yeah. wisdom keepers and wisdom holders and obviously by the natural world itself, by the trees, by possibly the animals, the soil itself. 
Um, I would love to, to hear from you, you know, about, I want to segue kind of back into the topic of seeds and hypa, but I want to mm -hmm. start here as we go a layer deeper with the notion of trust and the, the notion of moving at the speed of trust. Because we as humans, we have all of these ideas, but we also have histories behind us and epigenetic yeah. memory markers of, of all of this pain, this destruction and this, this competition with each other about who gets to be the king of the hill. Mm -hmm. But now going forward, I believe that trust and cultivating trust is one of our pivotal, if not key equations to solve with each other. So Mark, for you as a person, how do you experience trust in your own being? Like how, how, do, how do you choose to trust? You trust, you know, your community. You, you trust what you know. You trust what feels connected. And so to, to me, when we, uh, weaving it into Seeds in Haifa, when you have a global vision, you know, you have a, a, like a, an emergence of something that's going to, you know, awaken, that can happen way faster than the speed of trust can catch up. And so part of uh, what I've been advocating and kind of like sensing into re in the last year or so is that it starts with tiny little communities of trust. And, and building that trust is people offering their attention to each other and listening, listening. And if you build fractally from those moments of trust, from those small communities of trust, now you have this little fruited mushroom as a community of trust. And that requires care and attention. And over here is another community of trust that requires care and attention. And whatever is the right size, I think it's relatively small, you know, whatever's the right size, that builds and builds. And now you can have communities of communities of trust. And the communities of communities of trust, it, each, individual, each individual one did it a little bit differently, but they felt what trust is. They felt what caring is. Oh, that reminded me. Um, we, are, we do have epigenetic, you know, like history, like woven in there. It's, it's, it's in the way our brains work and everything. And I remember this one psychologist, lovely man, uh, Doug Lyle, that I, uh, I'm good friends with and I heard him speaking before. And he did, he, he said, you know, and when we were in, when we were ancient, our ancient ancestors, they worried about the saber-toothed tiger coming and eating them, you know? And the real question of community and trust is that if we're walking around this mountain pass and there might be a saber-toothed tiger nearby and you tear your Achilles tendon, <laughs> like I did, if you're, if you're injured, is your community going to carry you? That's what it comes down to. We have built into our brains, into the wiring of, of the way that, that, our, that this all works, that we need to belong. Because if we don't, our community might not carry us when we break our leg and the saber-toothed tiger is nearby. You can't build that on Zoom. You can't build that in, you know, um, 100,000, you know, seat, uh, you know um, music festivals. You build it in the 100 people that you're at the music festival with. Or the people that put their hands in the soil where you live. So you... Yes grow more of the gut biome, which then feeds, feeds everybody, everybody together in the, in the community. And, and I want Zoom to be that, you know, I want and I can certainly feel it, you know, uh, when I when I'm uh, connecting to somebody super far away. But there's some amplification that is both obvious and, you know, it's obvious, but but it's really Im important to meet people in person and to share the food and the, and the soil. And getting your hands dirty is fine. We live in a world that's very antiseptic where they forgot that getting your hands dirty is good. Um, so that's important too. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. so what I'm hearing you say, there's, there's trust that is one layer, but then there's also a layer that really is about care and caring. You call it belonging. And I think this is a notion that I've explored quite, quite a bit already with the podcast. And I've, I've you know, come to see a similar picture that the economy of the future if it really wants to scale beyond the economy of, um, you know, the, 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 the Fed or the fiat currency or, you know, right. just the extraction model, it needs to be an economy based on the values of belonging and care. Because when we care for the earth and we care for each other, basically everything is taken care of, right? Which then means yes. 
we're actually even just able to enter a, a paradigm where the participants are all thriving, which is almost unthinkable in the like capitalist culture yeah. of the planet, right? Like you earlier mentioned the word homelessness. For me, that is earlier when we were mm -hmm. talking before we hit record. For me, homelessness is one of those words that think of it seven generations in the future, or if you were an outer space being landing on this planet and someone was explaining to you, we have a phenomena called homelessness. I believe it's a nonsensical word in the sense that we have so many homes mm -hmm. and we're all home together on planet Earth. How have we ever let it go so far that the separation is so rampant that we walk by another being and they're like, oh yeah, that's just a homeless person on the street. Mm -hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a disconnect, a true disconnect to who we are at this point in time floating in the Milky Way galaxy on the planet home, the planet Earth, our mother. Yes. And so that notion of care, that notion of belonging, I think needs to be the fundamental pillar of anything we're building like a, you know, a DAO or, or if that's HIFA or if that's seeds as a currency. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, and that's, you know, that level of care, it, I, I sometimes, you know, go back and say like, do we need tokens? Do we need money? Do we need any of these things? You know, what we want to do is dream and imagine what does it look like humans collaborating with each other and in balance and in appreciation of nature, what does that look like? And if you looked at it, you're the outer space, outer space being that comes in and sees what's going on, you say, these creatures, these, these beings on this planet are lovely and they're collaborating and, they're, and it's, it's just plain working. How can having money or the tokens or the blockchain or the DAOs, how can that help us learn how to do that because we don't know how to do that right now humans haven't been very good at that because of the uh you know the the history and the capitalist models and so forth we kind of we kind of don't know how to do that we know how to do other things so if we can use these cr a crutch a tool called the DAOs, called transparency called permanence of, of of truth blockchain called money if we can use these tools to re recalibrate our behavior patterns then those tools are really good. If those tools don't do that, then why bother? You know? And so for me, um, people are familiar with numbers, whether it's called the stock market or the temperature outside. You know, when it gets to 105 outside, that's bad. You know? And there, we saw in Europe, we saw, I mean, there's numbers that are just going crazy. When we have one human being on the planet have his little number say, $250 billion, you know, something's a little uh, out of whack. Right. And so if we're going to use these numbers to achieve something new, they have to be, the numbers have to be trained to behave differently. Mm. And so if we say this, these numbers going up here is a proxy, is evidence that care is going up on the planet, that thrivability is going up on the planet. And if we find through blockchain, through truth, through uh, transparency, a way to weave this proxy together that it's not just a dream, but rather something that, ah, then we can now invite people that, uh, that have capital now, that are familiar with the capital world, that, that like the idea that I've got you know, millions of dollars and I want to get 7% yield from it. They're used to those ideas that capital, this thematic manufactured idea should grow on its own. It's not, a, it's not an apple tree or a persimmon tree, you know? Capital's just an idea. And to imagine that it grows on its own gives it great power. And so that's what's familiar. So we have to welcome what is familiar and say, all right, take your capital and flow it into this new world. And the numbers here will be familiar to you. And the energy that you're bringing in with your attention, with your capital, uh, facilitates a coordination that was previously not happening. That's what we need to do, is we have to hook it together. Because the old world is magnificent. It's just killing everything. The new world will be magnificent and it will be different and we have to weave them together in a way that doesn't just like say, all right, well, I'm starting a, um, you know, a, a little intentional community and we don't care about the whole rest of it. Let everything else fall apart, you know. You know, we're all connected. It's the same air. The air that I am breathing right now may have gone through, you know, the breath of, you know, Mozart. 
know, it's a, it's a, we're on a journey together. And we used to be small. It's only very recently when the indigenous peoples were relating to their, their world around them, they it was reverence, it was appreciation, and it was scope and context appropriate. <laughs> indigenous peoples never would chop down 80% of the Amazon rainforest. They didn't have the, 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 they had no interest in something like that, but they also didn't have the capacity. You know, one human being can only physically move so many, you know, kilos of, of rocks, you know? And even if you ask oxen to help you move some rocks around, you can't really change the whole world. But we can now. We have concentrated, you know, energy of, of you know, hydrocarbons and nuclear energy and all these things that we can be massively impactful in a destructive way. And that's a very recent thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned the word reverence here again, and I think it's, it's quite visible that in these old world systems, it's one is the, the monetary system, but the other is also the legal system, right? Mm -hmm. The legal system and the monetary system do not account for true cost of the impact on nature. Mm -hmm. right? They're fundamentally not built from a reverence for our gut, mm -hmm. our microbiome, and who we are as a part of the ecosystem, but they're built from this mental place of thinking, right? Of thinking mm -hmm. into spots of exclusivity or uh, thinking from separation, ultimately. Yeah. So they will just perpetuate that until you know, either something better comes along or we, we destroy more of the environment, which, mm -hmm. you know, at least on our watch, that's, that's not the direction we want to go. And so cohorts like seeds, which in all fairness and truth, I think it's just one of the cohorts out there that is really understanding that there is so much more possible. And when humans come together with that ability to see that there is so much more possible, deeply down, we're connected to the entire ecosystem. And we, our job is to care for each other, mm -hmm. to care for the earth, and to create cycles of caring that are reflected through systems, both financially as well as in, in, a, in a legal uh, mm -hmm. perspective. I, I wanted a, the word that came up when you were saying that was virtuous cycles. Mm -hmm. We want to create virtuous cycles, but we don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. So who decides? When we speak about governance, you know, who decides? You know, like, I might have an idea of what would be a virtuous cycle for humans to start shifting it towards. But I'm just one person. I'm one voice. And how do we weave together the voices that are not just those that you know, speak this language, but you know, all of the voices, the, the beautiful oak tree outside? That's what we have to do, is we have to ask all of, of beingness, all of existence, to share in that process of identifying, breathing into, and implementing virtuous cycles. Um, one of the things that attracted me to the seeds ecosystem, it's an experiment. You know, amazing things happen. You're like, boy, that was kind of silly. You know, those things happen. But it's somehow the seeds ecosystem has a magnetic attractor going into it where people are arriving. There, there, there's some kind of like energetic arrival. And so amazing people. So that's one thing. The other thing is that the seeds ecosystem decided to write down a constitution as to what is it that we believe in. And uh, Annalise Smitsman and her uh, Thrivability Compass formed a bit of an archetypical uh, structure for that, a cosmological structure for that, and that, that was then worked on by a whole bunch of people, and it eventually became voted on. The, and the citizens inside of SEEDS, the people in SEEDS said, this is who we are. And there's two parts to that, uh, that document. One is the, the first part speaks to purpose, and the second, part, second element speaks to governance, how we, how we work together. Who decides and who decides who decides? All of this crazy stuff. The first part spoke very clearly that we are all one. That oneness was at the center of it. The, 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 not just the, um, the honoring, the reverence of oneness. And so like, whoa, that's really good. This is, my, this is who I want to play with. You know? And so we're trying and we're learning. Uh, but you know, it's a, I, I want virtuous cycles. I want to be part of virtuous cycles. I want humans to care. Um, and I don't want, you know, any one person uh, to be the benevolent dictator. You know? You have to learn that one. Yeah. By being one yourself for a while. <laughs> yeah. right? And that's, that's the journey we go through, right? We learn also through our mistakes. So from that zoomed out perspective or, or zoomed in maybe, 
depending mm -hmm. on how we want to <laughs> spin it. We are yeah. all one, but also in that oneness, we have to accept and forgive all of the mistakes and the faults we've been making to arrive at this point. And then it seems to many of us and many people tuned into these episodes, as well as people that have been you know, with me in, in interviews, that we are actually experiencing a, let's call it an awakening, uh, or let's call it a, a, a you know, a, a times of change. This is know? the time. But this is the time, and mm -hmm. this is the time where many of us are already clearly seeing um, what's possible, systems of virtue or of caring or, you know, of equity or of just equal opportunity. But they won't happen if we just stand and wait for them so that we can consume them the right. way we perceive reality maybe now, which is, oh, what am I going to consume today? I'll go right. have a meal at this uh, restaurant and then I go watch a movie over here. Mm -hmm. That is still fundamentally the paradigm of, you know, consumption. And so I think it's a, there's a magic key that I experience every time I sit with someone like yourself who has spent a decade with their hands in the dirt, mm -hmm. that we start to see some of the nonsensical cycles of the planet and some of the, well, not the planet, but the human society right. of the planet, mm -hmm. right? right? And we start to see some of the opportunities that are lived as an example by the natural world around us. Mm -hmm. I'd love to tap into one more of those quotation marks here, nonsensical okay. cycles. Uh -huh. Let's talk trash and garbage for okay. a minute. Mm -hmm. what, what, what fires in your heart-mind connection when you just even hear the word garbage? Well, well, first of all, I never thought about it, you know? So uh, we, we, <laughs> we, we, we all start off as a baby. And as a baby, we uh, are in the womb and we you know, emerge and we're totally dependent, totally dependent on our care. And, and our brains are amazing you know, explosions of you know, awareness. But eventually, and I've got two kids, you know, eventually you become an adolescent and a teenager, but there is going to be some time in the future, if things go well, where you are the one providing the care instead of the one, yeah, and so that's like a miraculous transformation. And then providing the care is a whole new spectrum of what does that mean? Am I providing the care in a kind of an isolated box? Uh, am I providing the care as an elder? You know, what does that mean? And so there's this journey of each individual human life. So my attention was not on where the garbage goes. It was that dad said, take out the garbage. <laughs> so I took the bags and I put them in the garbage can. I don't know what happens after that. Right. And everybody in the world, in, at least in the recent world, if you back up to even just a couple hundred years ago or even less, Everybody knew exactly what happened to the garbage, you know. But we've outsourced all of the un inconvenient or unpleasant parts of society so that we don't even see it anymore. So when, I, when garbage, when you, you read there's a plastic garbage, you know, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean the size of, you know, Texas, you know, it's like the stuff that we're not paying attention to has huge impact. When um, you think about um, the people that work in, um, terrible conditions, they are working in the chicken factories. Mm -hmm. They're working in the pig factory. The amount of, of pain and a willingness to, to not be human, to not care, to be able to do those jobs, we hide them. And when things are hidden, they, it's, it, they don't get fixed. Mm -hmm. So the, when we think about garbage in the cycle, you know, everywhere, we need to be looking for you know, how to weave this together. This flow of material that is viewed as garbage from this lens is an input to this other flow of material. We can't be just making more stuff out of plastic and stuff and, and printer cartridges and everything else with no plan. So on our tiny little farm, in our tiny little example, you know, I wanted to get you know, vegetable residue, you know, kitchen scraps that were all vegan. And so we went to a vegan restaurant and said, hey, what do you do with all of your scraps at the end of the day? And they say, we throw them out in the garbage. I don't know what happens to them. You know, so we said, can we take them? You know, that was great. That was perfect. We, we, mat, we marry so well in the juice bar that makes, you know, carrot and, and apple juice and hemp milk and stuff. Let's take all their pulp. So that's like a, a very simple example in our little farm that never crossed my mind before. And if everybody who's thoughtful on the planet, I mean, there's huge numbers of people that really pay attention to this, and it's just hidden from nearly everybody else. And one of the things that makes me sad 
is municipalities, you know, city of Chicago, you know, municipalities have to solve this problem. And they solve this problem in a way that nobody that lives in the municipality knows about it. And that, you know, whether it's through combustion, whether it's through burying it, whether it's through all this stuff, but, but yeah, we have to start working with the recycling, regeneration, repurposing space at scale, again, in, in a serious way so that we can um, you know, solve some of these problems. And I want to say one other it brought up in the topic in my mind is that organic farms, we think of organic farms as being these places where people that care for their soil and care for producing high quality nutrient dense foods, they are organic farms. Mm -hmm. And we have this idyllic picture in our mind of organic farms. Uh, organic farms are simply, at least in the United States, uh, farms that follow this set of rules. And it's just rules, it's not principles or values. And the inputs to organic farms to bring fertility in, to bring nutrients in, are the waste products of some of the worst of industrial agriculture. And so it's kind of nice that the worst of industrial agriculture is going someplace, but it's going right onto the organic farms. That's not exactly the kind of food that I think of as organic. Yeah, I hear you very clearly on that example. And it's, it's just another you know, layer of like, we are just in the process of really transforming these steps. So there isn't really like a, this is the holy grail and everybody just <laughs> buy organic, you know? Right. It's, it's, we have to continue to evolve how these um, yeah, processes of life in the, the process of, of giving life to each other in our human society actually work. Mm -hmm. I'd love to find our way all the way back to kind of close the circle here, back to seeds mm -hmm. in Haifa. And, you know, three years in, you, you know, as you said, you were kind of new to crypto as you arrived yeah. in this whole mm -hmm. field. I would love to understand what's the call to action to anybody who's listened to us to all the way through right now that you would want to speak into being, speak into the community because we, we said it. It's not about consuming the next step or the next layer of what's happening in the regenerative movement. It's really about fundamentally becoming a co-dreamer or a co-creator of it, mm -hmm. right? So what are some of the, um, the things you can, you, you, you'd want to you know, call say in? The call to action is be kind to each other. We are uh, experimenting together and we are all humans. So find your community and start experimenting together. And the call to action in the Seeds and Haifa ecosystem, you know, Haifa is building tools for DAOs to collaborate, mm -hmm. for DAOs to share in purpose, define that purpose and the membranes that, that uh, surround how things get done, define it clearly define how value is shared by the community, and build that trust. That's what Haifa's DAO uh, tools are de designed to be. And in the new uh, enclosure, there's also this donut around the, the DAO, mm. the donut of the ecosystem that is related to this whole process. And it's just really beautiful. And in the Seeds community, we're looking at using DAOs to enable these individual communities to do their work. Mm -hmm to experiment to each other. So be kind. Mm -hmm. We're trying to figure out the way that this can manifest in each community, build those circles of trust, and grow to achieve the outcomes that we want through governance, through transparency, and through the use of uh, economics as appropriate. Right, and then there's region civics that just launched with, I believe, mm -hmm. 12 or 13 projects that are these on-the-ground projects that you just mentioned, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mark, so much for hosting me at this beautiful home, for having me and the whole crew of people that is kind of, you know, in our entourage around the region campus and regeneration, the Seeds ecosystem, uh, D Studio uh, here with you mm -hmm. and, and getting to know your family. I'd love to just give you the opportunity as we're, you know, coming to the end of this interview to just share maybe one more, uh, you know, golden nugget of wisdom or gratitude that is, that is permeating in your heart. What's permeating in my heart is that, you know, I've been on a journey for a long time in my life. I don't think of myself as being almost 60, but I kind of am, you know. And there's been miracles over and over. And it seems to be, you know, just so much appreciation, you know, that somehow this, this came together this week and I got to be together with everybody. So I don't have a specific journey of wisdom or a, a golden nugget, 
other than, you know, we are humans and we have the capacity to appreciate each other. And we're better together. We're better together. Thank you so much, Mark. Mm -hmm. Thank you.